thank you for your presence in our lives. And we thank you as I stand here as a representative, as an ambassador of heaven. I thank you that this morning lives will be radically transformed because we believe that the gospel is the power of God unto total salvation, healing, deliverance, forgiveness from sins. Why? Because in it, the righteousness from God has been revealed. Father, give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to my heart today. Lord, we thank you. We thank you. The world may seem to be in a chaotic state, but it was just like that in the beginning. Lord, it says there was disorder, there was chaos, there was ugliness, there was confusion. But the Bible says that the Holy Spirit hovered over the surface of the water ready to create beauty out of ugliness, order out of confusion. And we thank you that the church is going to come out of this season stronger and brighter and more pure and more authentic than it ever has been before. Father, I pray this morning, if there's anyone in this room that doesn't know you, really, really know you. And they're filled with fear and they're filled with wondering and they're filled with anxiety because of the situation. Father, as the result of what I'm going to say today, I pray that peace will flood their heart and joy will flood their mind simply by believing what the gospel says today. Father, we thank you in advance. We give you praise. And everybody said, behind the mask, amen. And give the Lord a big clap right here. <laughs> amen. You may be seated, everybody. It's great to be here. Always great to preach at home. In fact, these days, it's always great to preach anywhere. <laughs> I used to sing a song called Take Off the Mask. But I'm not going to do that this morning. <laughs> So, uh, are you okay? Everybody all right? Fantastic. And uh, Merry Christmas coming up. It's a, a different Christmas this year, probably, because of, uh, of what's happening. But I want to get straight into the message this morning. I'm pregnant with the Word of God. And, uh, and this has been burning in my spirit ever since Dave asked me to minister this morning. Um, uh, I know uh, some of the stuff that I preached over the years, you know, I'm going to bring out again this morning, but there is a mandate on my life as an abolitionist. Um, I shared this with you so many times. The Lord said to me, Ray, I'm sending you out for the rest of your life, and I'm going to anoint you as an abolitionist. An abolitionist is someone who delivers somebody else from slavery. And he said to me, the biggest form of slavery on planet Earth today is in my church. My people are worshipped. He said, vast 
numbers of my people are worshipping me in chains. And uh, just like the Israelites were worshipping Yahweh in chains for 400 years, and he sent an abolitionist in the form of Moses and declared to Pharaoh, set my people free, let my people go. So it's in this anointing that I stand here this morning, and I believe, I don't care how long you've been a Christian, there are areas in our lives we still need to be set free from. And the only way that we're going to enjoy our Christian life, the only way that we're going to live in freedom is by knowing the truth. Because Jesus says, when you know the truth, not just hear it, but know it. When you know the truth, the truth will set you free. Anybody up for getting setting free this morning? Amen. And when we think of Christmas in today's culture, of course, it's all about the giving of gifts and the singing of carols, uh, late night shopping, and slades, number one from the 70s, played in every store that you can imagine. And this is the culture that we've lived in for most of our lives when we think of Christmas. It's all about uh, the squeaks of excitement of the children when they open their presents on Christmas morning. And, uh, and then midday, the house is filled with the smell of Christmas dinner cooking. And after the meal, the house is filled with granddad's appreciation of that dinner. And that's what we think of when we think of Christmas. But when Isaiah thought about the first coming of Jesus, because that's what Christmas is really all about. God came to earth in the form of a human being. And I think sometimes with all the stuff that goes around Christmas, We forget the essence of what Christmas is all about. But when Isaiah thought about Christmas, his focus was not on the tinsel or the TV or the turkey, but anointed and moved by the Holy Spirit with a spirit of prophecy coming upon his life. He declared to Christians from his perspective, anointed by the Holy Ghost, what Christmas was all about. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. And this is, this is the essence of what Christmas is all about. And I think we need to remind ourselves of it. Because knowing the truth of it is the key to enjoying the abundant life that Jesus gave to us. For a child is born to us, a son is given to us, and the government shall rest upon his shoulders. I want to tell you right now that the governments of the earth do not rest upon any individual leader whether it be in America or in Asia or in Europe, the government of this planet firmly rests upon the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. This is Isaiah declaring the essence of the, of, of the first coming of Jesus, the essence of Christmas, which I think we've missed. Then, look at this one, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 4, just to precede this, this is what he declares. For you will break the yoke of their slavery and lift the heavy burden from their shoulders. Come on, somebody say amen. I want these scriptures to sink in uh, uh, because, because meditating on this truth is truly the key to enjoying the freedom that Jesus came to bring us. So basically, Christmas, according to Isaiah, is about the overthrow of a rogue government and the breaking of a curse. And most, the most overlooked and underestimated message of the first coming of Jesus, it's not about midwifery, it's not about astronomy, it's not about mass choirs of angels singing in the sky. The essence of Christmas is about the liberating rescue mission of a planet governed by a tyrant and enslaved by a curse. And the good news of Christmas uh, is that a rogue government has been overthrown and a righteous government has been instituted. And because of that, we can reign in life, not run from it. We can overcome in life, not be overcome by it. We can rule in life, not be enslaved by it. Somebody say amen right here. And it's the understanding of this truth. And Jesus, in Matthew chapter 11, actually declared the reason why he came. Watch this. I love this from the message translation. This is what he says to everyone in this room this morning that has given their lives to Jesus or who are about to. Are you tired? I, somebody said yes. <laughs> I love this church to say yes to anything. Right. Are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burnt out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you will recover your life. I will show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me. Work with me. Watch how I do it. <laughs> Learn, I love this, Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you will learn how to live freely and lightly. Can we just give the Lord a, a clap just, just by, by, reading, by reading his word? And I want to re-emphasize when we read these scriptures, the most powerful 
truth overlooked. When Jesus came the first time, is the breaking of a curse. And I know that this message title sounds like, um, you know, a, a title from a Disney fairy tale. We go uh, and, and, we, and we see these movies, we go to the cinema, and uh, we, we watch these fairy tales, and our hearts are dancing because we come out, because at the end of the movie, the curse has been broken. The beast becomes a handsome prince. Sleeping beauty is awoken by a kiss. We love it, don't we? Pinocchio becomes a real boy. And many people don't know that's a true story. You know why? Because I was that boy. No, I was. The curse was broken. The celebration begins. And they live their life in a newfound freedom. And we come out of the cinema and we think, man, I wish life was like that. We come out feeling so wonderful and thinking, man, I wish I could be part of that story. Well, I've got some amazing news for Christians, and I think we, be, we, we ought to begin to really understand it. I've come to declare to you this morning that you are part of a story like that. In fact, you are part of a greater story than that, because that is fairy tale. But what I've come to declare to you this morning is absolutely true, and every single one of us in this room are part of it. I've come to declare to you the truth of the new covenant. If you're still with me, say amen here. It's about time we realized as Christians that a curse has been broken over our lives. The curse of law based living, the curse of performance-based Christianity. Listen to this. The curse of condemnation that is the result of trying to please God with your effort. Now, I know this seems very basic, and it seems, but you know what? There is a tendency in our, in our lives, we are prone to feel guilty. We are prone to live under condemnation. And I believe every single day, we need to preach the truth of the new covenant to ourselves on a continual basis, that a curse has been broken over our lives. Galatians chapter 3 verse 10, I'm going to read some scriptures to you this morning. And uh, I love this. In the Amplified Version, it says this. For all who depend upon the law, seeking justification and salvation by obedience to the law and the observance of rituals are under a curse. For it is written, cursed is everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law so as to do them. And this aspect of the Christmas story is very, very rarely preached. But in reality, it is the essence of what Christmas is all about. The breaking of a curse, the releasing of prisoners, the overthrow of a rogue government, 
and the deliverance from the power of sin. I'm just going to go like a machine gun this morning. So just say amen here and there. Just tell me I'm on the right track here, okay? Somebody say amen here. I just don't want to come and give you some fluff. I want to, I want to really get into this here to help you. Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 to 7. But when the fullness of time had come, in other words, when God said, son, go. When the fullness of time had come. That's the first Christmas. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman. Think about these words of scripture now. Because this is the reason Jesus came. Born of a woman, born under the law, or born under the curse, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. And verse 7, therefore, because of that, you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son then an heir of God through Jesus Christ. Come on, somebody. Man, I'm, I'm just reading the scriptures and they excite me. And then Galatians chapter 3, verse 13. This is the reason Jesus came. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. I'm saying it again and again. The reason why Jesus came on the first Christmas is to set us free from a curse and, 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 and deliver us from a rogue government so that we can enjoy the freedom of abundant life in him. That is the best way to live. Somebody say amen here. In fact, in fact, Paul said, he likens it. He said, you're not just a conqueror. You are more than a conqueror. It's like being married. Imagine girls, you're married to a boxer. You're married to Joshua. What's his name? The boxer. Anyway, you're married to a boxer, girls, right? And he does all the training and all the stuff. And you said, yeah, love, come on, you can do this. And then he goes to fight the heavyweight championship of the world. There's three million pounds on this. So you're really encouraging him, girls. You say, come on, you can do this. You don't care whether he's battered around the ring. You're just thinking about that three million quid, right? So, so you're watching him on TV because you cannot stand to see your husband being beaten up live. Not, and, you, you, and he goes in the ring and bounce smashes and he wins. And he comes home, bleeding, battered, teeth knocked out, looking like Cosimodo with a three million pound. What a conqueror. But then he says, love, here's the money I won. She is more than a conqueror. Come on, somebody say amen right here. Come on. She didn't, she didn't, she wasn't in the ring being beaten up. She wasn't there having her teeth knocked out. She was watching her husband be smacked about in the ring for 15 rounds while she's eating popcorn and toast in the house and a glass of sherry. 
And then he comes home. Come on, somebody. I want to tell you something right now. The battle was won for us 2,000 years ago. We had nothing to do with it. And Jesus took the curse of sin and the curse of disease. And he took the beating for you. He was beaten and bruised and abused. And not one of us here this morning can enter in to what Jesus went through on the cross, fighting the greatest battle in the universe. He is the conqueror. Then he rose from the dead and he says, because I live, now you can live also. He was the conqueror, but we are more than conquerors, man. Come on, somebody say amen right here. Haley said to me this morning when I give her the scriptures, you're not going to get past the first three. It looks like, well, I've got a second service to do so we can pick it up. Man, I'm so excited I could crush a grape. Watch this. I'll say it again. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. Can we give the Lord another clap right now? I just want us to get excited about it. <laughs> Alibaba, listen. On December the 18th, 1865, slavery in the U.S. was abolished. Yet the vast majority of slaves who were legally freed continued to live as slaves as if nothing had happened. A war had been fought. A president had actually been assassinated. The Constitution ending slavery had been signed. But still, in the context of that hard-earned freedom, slaves still chose to remain as slaves. Most of them, watch this, because their slave owners kept the truth of their freedom from us, from them. Their slogan, keep them ignorant and you keep them in the field. As tragic as that was, Christianity has even an even more tragic story. Even though our great emancipator, Christ the Lord, paid the ultimate price to overthrow slavery once and for all. Most Christians act as though they still live in bondage. In fact, many of them, and I, the reason why I preach this message with such passion is because I was one of them for years. The enemy, and, and, and the worst thing was that the enemy was using preachers to keep the truth from me. You see, in any bank robbery, right? In any, when you really, you know, you, you, you look at these bank robbery movies, in any bank robbery, you know, to successfully rob a bank, the robbers have to have an inside man. Somebody who appears loyal to the bank, but they are related to the robbers. Come on, somebody. And for years, Satan has been using inside men to keep the church bound. 
He's been using inside men to kill, steal, and rob from the church. And he's been actually using preachers, and I was one of them, ignorant to the fact that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. He's been using inside people, and I was one of them, to keep the church bound to keep the church from the truth that we've been set free from the curse of law-based living. Hmm. And our slave master, Satan, loves it and keeps us in ignorance. You know, my life over the last 12 years has been marinated in this truth. It oozes from the pores of my life now. And I long to see Christians uh, free to enjoy the life that Jesus paid for us to have. And, um, you know, most Christ- a lot of Christians still live under condemnation and guilt over past mistakes and past sins. And, and the, one, the, one, the one important truth, the one revelationally truth we must understand is this, when you give your life to Jesus, because he has broken the curse, because he has dethroned a rogue government, there is therefore now no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. Come on, somebody say amen. How did Jesus empower people to stop sinning. Now, I don't know whether you're like me, but I'm a Christian, been serving Jesus for 40 years, but there are times when I sin as a Christian. Anybody else out there have the same problem? (laughs) There's a couple of holy people out there. No, not me. (laughs) You just sin by saying that? You're lying. Anyway, but... But we are, we are saved by grace, but there is still a tendency as Christians to sin. And here's the problem. You see, many people say, well, in order to stop Christians sinning, we need to bring back the Ten Commandments to the church. We need to start preaching the Ten Commandments. Well, you know where I'm going with this. <clears throat> Because the very thing that Jesus delivered us from, there are many preachers that say we should come and live back under. We have been delivered from the curse of the law. Now stay with me. I I probably won't have time to get into all this, but are you receiving this this morning? So how did Jesus empower people to stop sinning? Well, the classic example is the woman that was caught in adultery. The law did its job by shaming her. The law will shame you but can't clean you. Because that's what the law is designed to do. You are wrong. You cannot save yourself. You cannot get to heaven by your good works. That's what the law declares. That means we are all hopeless. So what do we do? But here's the second reason the law was given. Not only to declare that you can't do it, but then the Bible says that the law is a schoolmaster 
that brings you to someone who has done it for you. The law grabbed the woman from her adulterous bed. I wonder why they didn't bring the man as well. Anyway, it's just by the way. So they grabbed the woman in the act of adultery, dragged her through the streets and said, shame on her. Fine, because that's what the law is designed to do. But this is what many people miss. Then the law dragged, shamed her and then dragged her through the streets and then threw her down at the feet of grace. <laughs> Are you still here? You've heard this before, but isn't it great to remind ourselves of what's happened to us? And then the law stood there and waited to see what grace would do. <laughs> okay, she deserves to be stoned. Yep, you're right. And you know the story. <laughs> Jesus began to write in the ground. I'm got time to go into this. He was writing the Ten Commandments. That's what he was writing. Because where this incident happened, it was, it was in Solomon's colonnade. It wasn't dust that he was writing it. It was on stone tablets. And they knew the only person that wrote with his finger on stone tablets. Come on, somebody. And the Bible says that one by one they left. I'll deal with that a little bit later. But one by one they left. So the law had done its job to bring her to the feet of grace. Now what was grace going to do? And this is how Jesus helps us and empowers us to stop sinning, to help us to stop sinning. This is what he said. He said, hey, he said, Nigh. he said, where are those that condemn you? Where is the law now? Well, they've gone. And he said, you know, you, but let's say it. He's, and Grace says, to a sinning, to a woman that has sinned and knew it, he said, neither do I condemn you. Now watch this. He didn't say, now I'm here not to condemn you, but you've got to sort of fulfill some requirements here. I want to, I want to see some genuine repentance. I want to see if, if, you, if you really are sorry. No. He looked at the woman and he said, you won't find any condemnation at my feet. First, here's the thing. First, he let the woman know that he wouldn't condemn her. Neither would he allow anyone else to condemn her. Then he said, then he said, now go sin no more. <laughs> I don't serve God because I don't serve. Do you know what? I don't love God because I love God. I love God because he first loved me. It's not about my faithfulness. It's about his faithfulness to me. And the motive to live, to please God, the motive and the empowerment is not the law because that just makes you sin more. No, the motive is to realize there is therefore now. And now means now, any time of the day, any day of the week. There, there is therefore now no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. That's what motivates me not to sin. Anybody else in the house can say amen right here. And I know this is relating to somebody here because you've been sinning all week. 
and you need to get set free here. What many people miss in this beautiful story is a powerful truth. And it looks like I'm not going to get beyond this this morning. The absence of condemnation from God is what empowers us to repent. And when I say repent, I, I mean to change. The absence of condemnation from God is what empowers us to repent and motivates us to say no to sin. Repentance does not release grace. Grace is the catalyst that releases repentance. And the devil convinces us, the devil convinces us that a gospel that doesn't require us to do something is missing something. When a preacher, and I don't care who he is or she is, when a preacher makes our faithfulness a principle of the gospel to be made right with God, is preaching another gospel. Faithfulness is just another way of defining obedience. If you don't obey, you will not be loved. If you are not faithful, you will not be accepted. And the onus is on what we must do. Justification by obedience is simply another way of saying, I am justified by my efforts, by my performance, and by my works. I know this is simple stuff. I know, I know, uh, but we need to regurgitate this on a daily basis, everybody. And remind ourselves exactly that we've been delivered from the curse of the law. Huh. Um, but, okay, I, I, I'm just going to wipe this. Woo! Anyway, I'm having a ball up here. We distort the gospel by turning what the gospel produces into what the gospel requires. I'll say that again. We distort the gospel by turning what the gospel produces. The gospel produces obedience through faith. It's not the other way around. But I, I, I read, um, uh, I've been reading, um, uh, I, I, I love Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. He was a preacher, a Welsh preacher uh, in the 50s and 60s. And he wrote an exposition on the book of Romans. Took me 18 months to devour just, and, and, and assimilate just one chapter, just Romans chapter 5. And he talks about the risk of grace. Because when you start preaching grace alone, and I've just finished writing uh, my fourth book called Grace Alone, and it's going to be made available online, so keep your eyes open for that. But, but the accusation, when you preach grace alone, when you start preaching this message, they, they say, well, don't you think that the awakening of grace in someone's life could lead to abuse? Fair question. And they say, isn't there a danger that people will use grace as a license to sin? It's a very good question. Because when you hear this wonderful message of the new covenant, 
the first thing you think of is, well, that's heresy. You're encouraging people. You say, well, you're under grace. Then you can just go and live as you want. No, that's not what it's teaching. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this. I love this. If you're still here, say amen. <laughs> Martin Lloyd-Jones said this. I know it's very wordy this morning, but I'm speaking to some very intelligent people over here. So watch this. So just joking. So watch this. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this. Preaching grace is not only risky, but the fact that some take it to an unwise extreme is actually proof that a minister is indeed preaching the true grace of God. Because Paul the Apostle was accused of the same thing. He says, Paul, you can't be preaching that. But Paul could not stop preaching just because people abused it. Truth is unchangeable however people interpret it. Let that sink in. This is how Paul answered his uh, opponents when they said, you can't be preaching this grace. You've got to be preaching law. You've got to be preaching circumcision. You, 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 you know, we, we've got we've to still obey the law and the Ten Commandments. You can't just be preaching grace alone. And Paul answered like this. Well then, should we keep on sinning so God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? The true preaching of the gospel will always lead to the possibility of this charge being brought against it. And there is no better test as to whether a man is really preaching the New Testament, go uh, the New Testament gospel than this. Somebody say, Amen right here. In other words, to, to sum this up in, in, in layman's terms, we don't have to keep the Ten Commandments perfectly 24-7 in order to please God. In fact, if you try to live that way, you will be living under a curse. But I'll, I'll say it again, Jesus has redeemed us from the curse of living like that. Unlike the Galatian church, many Christians want to place themselves under a curse that Jesus died to deliver us from. Huh. Law-based Christians need rules. I needed my rules <laughs> to measure my holiness. Amen. I needed my rules. I lived like this for like 15 years. You would not have wanted to know me during that time. All you'd get is this. Yes, take it. Shit us. Call yourself a Christian. I'd be happy at doing it. And do you know what? I'd be pointing like this and be three fingers pointing back at me. Because the way you judge other people is actually the way you're judging yourself. Come on, somebody say amen. The saddest people, the saddest Christians you will ever find on this planet right now are people who worship God in chains. Trying to, the rules for praying. Rules. Oh, God. I nearly had a nervous breakdown. 
There was a thing that came out, one hour to pray. The one hour of prayer, the one hour circle of prayer. And if you don't do this, you're going to live a defeated life. I tried it for like three days. The first 15 minutes, praise and worship. The second 50 minutes, thanksgiving. The fourth 50 minutes, intercession. And then the 50, last, you come out. You know what? I was like this. Oh, I worship you, Jesus. Thank you. Lord, I thank you. I'm worshiping you now the first 15 minutes. Thank you, Jesus. The fifth. Oh, I thank you now. It's quarter past six. I thank, come on. Somebody, you know what I'm talking about. And I lived like that. Rules for praying. And people tell Christians, well, if you don't spend time in prayer before you leave the house, then the devil. I want to tell you right now, I don't get up every morning to defeat the devil. He has already been defeated 2,000 years ago. Somebody say amen. <laughs> Laws for Bible reading. My God. I didn't understand. You know, you've got to re read 14 chap chapters. And then you, you have a Bible plan, don't you? Right? Read the Bible in a year. And you miss two days. You, you, you know, you spend two days repenting to God that you're broken. He never gave you the rules in the first place. He has broken it. He has set us free from the curse of rule-based Christianity. Man, nearly through. Rules for witnessing. Oh, God. I, you know, no wonder I, had, I got, no, <laughs> no wonder I got fired from three jobs. <laughs> Why? I had to witness to 14 people before one o'clock. <laughs> Go into all the world and preach. That's the command. <laughs> I told you, you, some of you know my first job in the paint shop. You know, I was working in the paint shop. This old lady came in. I thought, candidate for salvation right here. All she wanted was sandpaper. <laughs> Can I have some sandpaper, young man? Do you know that if you don't repent of your sin, you're going to hell, love? I only want sandpaper. I was called up to the, uh, I was called up to the manager's office. I'm serious. Why? I was. I thought I had to do this. Come, anybody relate to what I'm saying? I was called up to the. You've heard this before, but some of you haven't. So I'm telling you anyway. You'd lie to me anyway. Say, no, we have to tell us a story, Ray. We haven't heard it. Yes, you have a thousand times, but I'm telling you. So the manager took me up to the office. What's going on with you, Bevan? What's that, Mr. Rogers? You're depressing the staff. What do you mean? Well, I'm having complaints. They don't want to know if they're going to hell at 9 o'clock in the morning. They don't want to know that. Stop doing this. You have to sell paint and stuff. I said, well, Mr. Rogers, that's where you're going if you don't repent. He fired me right there. Sacked me. Done. <laughs> oh, man, I could keep you all morning telling stuff like that. But I'm telling you, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. 
Come on, somebody say amen right here. <laughs> Musicians can come. Oh, I've loved it. Oh, man. Come on, man. We've been set free from that performance-based Christianity. And there may be somebody here this morning. And, you, and the reason why you've not given your life to Jesus is because that's how you perceive Christianity to be. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't. You know, God looks at you. Made a mistake. Boom. I want to tell you, Jesus took the boom 2,000 years ago, and we are set free to enjoy what he bought for us. Rules. Rules. My God. I want to read one more scripture if I can find it, and then we finish. This, this is absolutely brilliant if I can find it. Yes, Colossians chapter 2. Could you find that over there? Colossians chapter 2, verse 14. Look at that. Do you know Satan actually uses the Ten Commandments against Christians? You're not holy enough. You're not righteous enough. He actually uses God's word. But watch this. He, Jesus canceled the record of the charges against us. What was the record of the charges against us? The Ten Commandments. You don't match up. There's nothing you can do to be, to be made right with God by what you do. Watch this. And he took it away by nailing it to the cross. When Jesus hung on the cross, do you know what they used to do to the, to the people that were hanging on the cross? They would nail to the cross the reason why they were being executed. Uh, this man uh, stole, murdered, da-da-da, and they would nail it to the cross. Figuratively speaking, Jesus hung on a cross and there was a sign nailed on his cross. Not of all the bad things he did, but all the imperfections and sins that we did. And he nailed it to his cross and he said, I've canceled out all your sins. You are forgiven. Now start to live in it. Amen. Just stand with me right now. Father, I thank you. I didn't get through everything, but I believe that uh, whoever was in the room and listening online, hi, everybody online, everybody listening, I believe the words that you guided me to say were the words that needed to be said right here, right now. Thank you, Jesus, for delivering us from the curse of law-based living, trying to please you with our faithfulness. Thank you, Lord, that we are accepted and there is therefore now no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. Amen.